from 99.9 The Fan. This is The Drive with Tim Donnelly. Sponsored by Coach Pete at Capital Financial Advisory Group. Visit us at CapitalFinancialUSA.com. It's 5 o'clock. Time to get in the know with the biggest sports stories of the day. Here is your daily checkdown. Hit it. Alongside Luis Fernandez, Dennis Cox with you this afternoon on The Fan. If you miss any of the show, it's on Best of 99.9 The Fan Podcast, as well as 99.9 The Fan's YouTube page. There's already stuff up there, Lewis. Stuff already up there. Oh, yeah. Go smash that subscribe button. Ring that bell. Exactly. And leave comments. Yes. Honestly, leave comments. And like it, too. Oh, yes. Of course do that. But we want you to leave those comments because we actually do want you all to interact with us. Let us know what you're thinking, what you're feeling. Coming up, we're going to talk about some of the Duke basketball. They had media availability today. Also, why you as a Carolina Panther fan need to tune in to Hard Knocks, the latest with Northwestern football. Zion's getting critiques again or criticism again about his weight. But let's start things off with number five. five Wimbledon. Yep. It's for those of you who've been paying attention, one of the kind of feel good stories of Wimbledon has been the sudden rise to prominence of uh, American tennis player Chris Eubanks. Mm-hmm. ACC great, former All American at Georgia Tech from the Atlanta area. Hashtag go ACC. Hashtag, hashtag go ACC. Um, Eubanks has just been on a ridiculous run here in Wimbledon. Just kind of put all of us into perspective, okay? He knocked off the number five player in the world. He had never defeated a top 10 player before. He had never made it past the second round of Grand Slam. And here he was today playing in the quarterfinals of Wimbledon. Um, he, He moved up 34 spots in the ATP world rankings. During the course of this of this tournament um, to put all that in perspective, but he did lose today, falling to the number three player in the world. He was up two sets to one, ended up losing the final two sets. So it's it's tough, obviously for Chris Eubanks, but the fans he made, his he is an infectious personality, six foot seven. He, he's someone who we, we talked about individual personality and how important it is to sport yeah. earlier in the show. Mm-hmm. He's, I think, a prime example of that. Uh, he's the third African-American male to make the men's singles quarterfinal at Wimbledon. Mm-hmm. The first since 1996. The first one to do it was Arthur Ashe. Wow. So he's in great company. Um, I'm, I'm very excited to see how he does. Hoping he does well at the U.S. Open here coming up, the next Grand Slam event, you know, in New York. That'll be a really fun moment, hopefully for him and and for American tennis as a whole. There, there are so many. I highly recommend just just go, just type in Chris Eubanks into a Google search and read some of the different profiles that have been done on him. Um, really excited to see. Twenty-seven years old, I believe. Uh, what what he could do next uh, with his tennis career, but. Uh, loses Chris Eubanks loses to the number three player in the world today in the quarterfinals of Wimbledon. No shame in that. No shame in that. No shame in that whatsoever. Congrats to him. Okay, next up, number four. Are you ready for the big game? At The Designery, we can help you arrange your kitchen in the perfect way to feed everyone coming over for the big game. I'm Dana Merrill, the owner of The Designery in North Raleigh. And I am True Merrill, 
I am the project manager. The Designery is a lovely kitchen, bath, and closet remodeling company. We do pretty much any of the utility spaces in your house. If you want to store things in your cabinets, if you want to work on things on your countertops, if you want to uh, have a floor that can get wet or muddy, we're the place to help you fix your home up. We are the Designery North Raleigh, located at 3030 Wake Forest Road in the Holly Park Plaza. We would love to see you or visit our website at thedesignery.com. One of the four, all of the four, or half of the four. All right, so Zion Williamson has gotten a lot of – he's been a lot of heat this summer um, for various reasons. Some we won't get into because Some, we don't want to get fined. Well, there's that. But one of the biggest criticisms for him has been his ability or inability to stay on the floor. So Zion Williamson stopped by with Gilbert Arenas' podcast, Gil Arenas. So this is something Zion had to say about some things that he's changing this offseason. You 20, 22, got a lot of money. All the, it feel like all the money in the world, man. It is hard, but uh, I'm at that point now where because of certain things, I'm putting back like the wisdom around me, a bunch mm-hmm. of like, I don't want to say older because they take offense <laughs> to it. But, <laughs> but I'm just putting people around me with wisdom. Put me on game to certain things and just go from there. Okay, so that's Zion talking about, again, surrounding himself with people that are going to put him in the right direction, right? Sure. Because, again, he's young. He's young, yeah. He's 22 now, twenty, going about to turn 23. And, yeah, he's got a lot of money. And for a kid coming out 19 years old out of college and you first overall pick, you get a lot of cash from endorsement deals, your NBA contract. Yeah, sometimes you can, quote, unquote, lack of a better term, lose your way, right? I, I think the it happens. The majority I mean, of us in that situation would not make smart decisions. Would make mistakes. I'm in my 30s, and if I got that kind of money now, I'd I'd be scared. I'd lose my way too. It, it, <laughs> you know, to be honest. Um, but nonetheless, it's I think it's great to see him have awareness or have some self awareness about again who he surrounds himself with. Well, Jay Williams of ESPN this morning on ESPN Radio talked about what he's heard from other people about Zion's work ethic. Somebody around that organization that I have full confidence in okay. for the man he is and for the player he was, okay? Him and I have been having conversations, and when I got told this, it was shocking. And I think it's the biggest question going into the 23-24 season for me to watch with Zion Williamson. Zion Williamson loves basketball. I don't know if Zion Williamson loves the work to put into basketball to be the player that we think he can be. That that's what was said to me. That's a glowing. That's honestly lack of not glowing. That's a pretty eyebrow raising thing to hear about. Hey, you like to play, but you don't always like to put the work in to play. I get that. Trust me. I loved being. I loved playing sports like through college and all that. Not gonna lie, there are times I hated working out, but I did it because I had to be. I did it to be so I could be the best I could be out there on the field. If it was easy, so everyone I would get do it. it. Exactly, it, it's it's not easy. It's not easy to do. I'm I'm gonna be real here. I had not heard that soundbite before you played it, and yeah. when I saw in our little show notes here, Jay Williams, what he's been told about Zion's work ethic, 32 seconds long. Mm-hmm. I assumed it was gonna be a glowing review from Jay Williams because of the brotherhood, because yeah. of Duke, right? Um. So that's a little shocking. I don't know. I it's hard because I don't I oftentimes don't think that 
when we talk about things like work ethic, for example, right, with professional athletes, it is not as black and white as it seems, right? Mm-hmm. It's not either, hey, you're good, you're good at working, you're you're a gym rat, all that kind of stuff, or hey, you're bad at it. There's always a little bit of an in between. Um, but I mean, that's I don't know. I'm just I'm I'm a little shocked. And, and now mm-hmm. we also have one more clip about Zion here and his his health. This one coming from uh, ESPN's Richard Jefferson. Yes. So Richard Jefferson. On NBA Today, he refers to Kendrick Perkins during this, but he questioned Zion's ability to stay healthy. I'm going to be really honest. I don't think Zion knows what he's doing. I don't think he knows how to do it. There's no, never been anything that can prove us, right? Does he need to look like me? No. Does he need to look like Perk? No. But he spent more time looking like Perk than he has me over the course of his NBA career. So to tell me that this man knows what he's doing is, oh, I think it's band work. And I, bro, you've missed two and a half seasons. If we go back to Duke, you've missed more basketball than you've played. So I'm not going to sit up here and listen to him and make me believe that he knows what to do to get back on the court. Because if that's the case, why? has it never been done so one of the things that zion talked about as well i don't have the sound bite but talked about some of the things he's doing with his training in in regards to flexibility and things along those lines in order to help prevent injuries soft tissue injuries things along those lines and he mentioned about doing band work there's a term called prehab stuff that you do before workouts to prevent injuries and things lebron does a lot of that kind of stuff. exactly he he, and zion actually specifically mentioned lebron's like lebron's the blueprint on how to do this stuff because of the longevity that he's had in his career uh so anyway a lot of questions still around zion his health his weight those kinds of things um but nonetheless to hear people questioning his work ethic off the floor that's a that's a big one it's it's hard to, like we said, if it was easy, everybody would do it. Yeah, Zion has the natural ability. I'm, I'm oh, not. Oh, does he ever? I, I'm not in the gym with Zion, so I'm. You know, it's who am I to talk on on that kind of stuff? But I, there, there is definitely a blueprint as to how to, because you're never going to be able to prevent everything, right? No. But there is a blueprint. You're never, you're never going to be perfect. But there is a blueprint to how to uh, help prime your body to do better in an 82-game season. If, mm-hmm. if you take out the season that uh, Zion missed completely, he still has played in less than half of his possible games since yeah. he entered the NBA. There's a blueprint there. So just, you got to follow it. I I really hope Zion can put two and two together and be healthy because I think the game of basketball will be better for it. Next up. One, two, three. Northwestern. We've talked a lot about this college football program and the situation surrounding the hazing allegations and investigation that that has ultimately led to the firing of Pat Fitzgerald, the former longtime Northwestern head football coach. Uh, One new bit of information that's come out through The Athletic um, over the past 24 hours is that Northwestern plans on maintaining its other assistant coaches uh, for the season. Part of it, I think, is because there's just a, a need to. You're a couple of weeks away from the uh, summer camp and things like that starting. But at the same time, it kind of leaves a bad taste in your mouth because um, obviously the hazing allegations, the allegations of just um, not racial misconduct, but racism within the program. Yeah. It's all... It's all very disturbing. It's gross. I, I mean, 
hazing should not be a thing ever. Hazing should definitely not be a thing in 2023. Um, but if if Pat Fitzgerald, as the the investigation said, the, the investigation uh, into the hazing, go ahead and go read it if you have the opportunity to. But essentially, the main takeaway is that the investigation could not conclude that assistant coaches, that, that, that people in leadership, that they knew about the hazing. But that there were opportunities. There were many opportunities to learn about the hazing. And some of that is like, ultimately, you are the one responsible for those under you. You are the one responsible as a head coach for all of that. But and I understand the necessity that, hey, the football season has to happen. But it leaves a bad taste in my mouth, the notion of everyone else staying, essentially. Because if, if the head coach is going to have some responsibility there, if the head coach had the opportunity to learn these things... You know, you were a former coach, yeah. Dennis. You know, assistant coaches, they know their position groups. They know their personnel a lot of times tighter than the head coach will. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So there's there's always the, I guess you can say for, you can say plausible deniability. Because sure. I will say this as a head coach, you're not in the locker room oftentimes at the same time as your players. Sure. You Sometimes you walk in the locker room pregame or maybe before practice or something like that. Or if you're meeting with the team, generally sometimes it's in a meeting room. Yes. So you're not just walking around the locker room while guys are getting ready for practice. Just something that you're not doing unless you need to go. Sometimes you might pop in there and say, like, hey, can you come down to my office and talk to me real quick? Because, you know, you need to discuss something about practice that day. Maybe they're going to try a new position, whatever it is. But that's just kind of the thing that happens. So I understand it, but this is a – I, th- I see the reason why for keeping the assistant coaches because you still need to have some level of stability going into this season because you can't just get rid of your entire coaching staff and just all of a sudden expect to just hire a brand new one in two weeks because guys have contracts already coaching with other programs right now. They're not going to leave those other teams high and dry as well. So there's a lot going on at, out there as well. Also, you want to try and make sure as many of your players don't hit the transfer portal quickly. So there's a lot of stuff that's still got to shake out from this, but man, we are far, far from over. And part of it too, in the the reporting from the Daily Northwestern, the student paper that yes. has done a lot of this work. Which go read the reporting; it's it's great, not just student journalism, but journalism in general. Yeah. Um, according to the according to the player who spoke with the Daily, Fitzgerald, head coach, former head coach Pat Fitzgerald, repeatedly made the signal during practices when players, specifically freshmen, made a mistake. Um, the player believes some players interpreted Fitzgerald making these signals as knowingly encouraging the hazing to continue. Quote, everyone would just be looking at each other and be like, bro, Fitz knows about this because you wouldn't take that action otherwise. The player said everyone joins in because he's the head coach. So once again, I think a lot of this comes back to, you know, if you're in charge Mm -hmm. of something, you have responsibility. I just... I don't know. Once again, this is going to be one of those things I think that kind of shapes. Uh, it's one of those stories that we're going to look back on in just college athletics, especially. I, here's something I'll, we'll tie the bow on this with. Uh, sure. Tie the bow on this with with this that I know every college coach of every sport right now when their teams are coming back, this is being talked about. I absolutely. I guarantee you, this is being mentioned. Absolutely. All right, let's go to the next thing. And I don't even care who number two is. Hard knocks. Jets, Aaron Rodgers, they're hard knocks. Okay, glad we got that out of the way. 
You hate it so I, much. Gosh, so much. I'm so t- sick of hearing it. Um, of, of that player and that team. But I'm not even going to say his name. <laughs> no, I'm not. Now, the Jets, week one, our first preseason game, August 12th, is against the Carolina Panthers in Charlotte. Oh, interesting. They also have two joint practices leading up to that first preseason game. Oh. So, Jets, hard knocks, in Charlotte, facing the Panthers. It's an opportunity for us, Luis Fernandez, to get more behind-the-scenes look of the Carolina Panthers, Bryce Young, his first year. It's the first time we're going to see Bryce Young throwing against another team. I know it's in a controlled environment with the joint practices, but we are going to see him against the Jets. He's going to play in that first preseason game, so we're going to get more behind-the-scenes look of of the Carolina Panthers a little bit. I know it's going to be Jets-focused, but we're still an opportunity for us to see that, which it, it intrigues me because I'm excited to see more behind-the-scenes of what the team looks like for the Carolina Panthers. I love that kind of stuff. Um, we've talked about this a little bit already, but I, I love that kind of stuff. And to me, it's not just, oh, Bryce Young's going to get the opportunity against a different team. It's against the Jets, who are one of the best defenses in the league, who, besides having, you know, Zach Wilson as quarterback, their defense almost carried them to the playoffs. The playoffs yeah. They were in the wildcard conversation towards the very end of the season. So, Sauce Gardner, um, Quentin Williams, the 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 defense that that the Jets have will be a very fascinating test early on for the Panthers in training camp. Yeah. I'm excited for it. Yeah, I, does, I, Absolutely. Bryce Young's going to get a lot of first-team reps against that defense and those joint practices. It would not surprise me if a lot of those first-team guys, like you mentioned, like Quentin Williams, they don't play in that first preseason game. Wouldn't surprise me one bit. But we know Bryce Young is going to play in that preseason game. And he's also going to compete against those guys in the in those joint practices as well. So it's going to be a fun, exciting opportunity for us as Panthers fans and people that follow the team to see a little bit more behind the scenes. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I like it. All right, let's get to our top story here. I, I am one. So Duke basketball had a media availability today, Lewis. Which, by the way, just as a side note, as someone who is in sports media, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I, I know why. Content I, content in July. Ooh. Hey, there's al- there's always stuff going around. But a lot of people are a question or have the question of, all right, what's Duke going to look like in the second year of John Shire? Mm-hmm. Because we saw in Chapel Hill with UNC the success that they had under Hubert Davis, getting all the way to the national championship game, beating Duke and Coach K in the process of doing so, right? They get to the national championship game. They bring four starters back. Expectations, super high, right? People are expecting at least get back to the Final Four, right? Yeah. Or national championship game, win the whole thing. Didn't even make the NCAA tournament. Okay, so what's the expectation for Duke going into the season? You're bringing back a lot of your starters, right? Bringing back a lot of good players. You're bringing in one of the top recruiting classes in the country. You didn't have a bunch of guys enter the transfer portal after the season. You didn't have to go, you didn't have to go into the transfer portal to fill your roster, or I think they have one guy coming in that's from the transfer portal, but that's it. You know, they lost two guys because of graduation. Otherwise, everyone's coming back. So what is the expectation for for Duke in Season 2 under John Shire? I think the expectation after getting to the second round of the NCAA tournament last year, losing losing a physical game to Tennessee, the expectation for this Duke team coming up it's got to be Sweet 16 or, or longer, right? Am I I'm, wrong in saying that? No, absolutely not. I, For me, putting ex- expectations on 
on college basketball teams in from a postseason perspective, I think is always tricky because the NCAA tournament is so chaotic. Mm-hmm. I think Duke Duke's going to be a top five, if not top three, preseason team. Uh, and I think we'll have all expectations too. I definitely see him top ten. Yeah. Oh no, least. for sure, for sure. I, I mean, I if Duke if Duke was not number one, I mean, I, if Duke is number one, I wouldn't be surprised. But I there, I think they're gonna be top five for sure. I um, I think that you know the expectations on Duke are gonna be to get to the final four because you have even that higher. Yeah, you have, okay. you have you have eight returning players. Um, you were a team that was a dark horse Final Four candidate for a lot of people in terms of their brackets. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about it earlier in the show. The way that remember the way their bracket fell out, they would have gone past Tennessee. You know who they would have played in the Sweet Sixteen? Who? Florida Atlantic. Yeah, and that's a team that they could have beaten. And and then all of a sudden the bracket just opens up wide open from that point on. I think. I mean, I think the expectation for Duke is Final Four. Mm-hmm. Um, whether that's fair or not, I think you can you know kind of talk about that. But you got. Just look at the roster, right? You got Jeremy Roach, who has shown the ability to have success in college basketball. Is kind of like one of those kind of, um, I think, when you need someone just to go get a bucket, he's a prime example of that, the way he works the mid-range. Uh, Tyrese Proctor, I think, can take a massive step. Uh, Kyle Filipowski was the you know ACC freshman of the year and I think has ACC player of the year potential, um, if not going to be the preseason favorite this year. Um, you've got like another you got another starter returning in, in Mark Mitchell, who started 35 games for them in the regular season. Um you know, or 35 games for them in general last year. Um, they have some good shooting ability uh, as well. They've got some good young players coming back in. They've got they've got a lot of continuity, and they have a lot of talent. Uh, and I think Shire proved himself to be a very good coach last yeah. year, and, and it's going to continue that way. But t- to me, like this is what's going to be so interesting this year for Duke is that you're going to have to completely change your identity, mm-hmm. completely change your identity. Uh, they talked about that a lot. The the going from a slower kind of grinded out team to a fast-paced nature. In fact, here's John Shire talking about that change in identity. We feel we can be more of an explosive team in transition. You know, we have really good guard play and uh, very mobile bigs. But, you know, sharing the ball is going to be a key thing. It can't be about individual stats. I think we can be a team that has different leading scores. Uh, But sharing the ball, playing fast, playing with space, uh, we weren't able to do that as much last year. We had to kind of muck it out a little bit. You know, we had to really beat you up on the boards and protect our rim. And again, protecting our rim this year is important. We have to do it a different way, though. Uh, but next year's team, I think the spacing, the scoring, uh, driving, and then of course making the right reads because you have you have shooting around you. So hopefully that opens up space for a flip, for a mark, for our guards to get in there and uh, to draw some attention. I think this comes down to the backcourt tandem of Tyrese Proctor and Jeremy Roach. It could be one of the best tandems in the country. So we saw Jeremy Roach last year be the primary ball handler for much of the early part of the season as Proctor continued to to develop. Proctor was supposed to be a high school senior last year. Let's keep that in mind. So he was supposed to be a freshman in this upcoming class, but he reclassified, got to Duke early. So that year of college basketball under his belt, is going to pay dividends for him as he's now 18 years old, which is just wild to think about. Um, he's a second-year college player, and he's just 18. Can you imagine? Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> no, I can't. But nonetheless, his development late in the season, he started to, to handle the ball more and allow Jeremy Roach to play off-ball. In order for them to play in transition better or to play faster like they want to, like John Shire just talked about, Having both those guys with their ability to facilitate the basketball and also Jeremy Roach, 
his ability to play off the ball to create opportunities for himself as well is going to increase the tempo of their offense. Filipowski being able to run the floor with guys like Mitchell, I think this is going to be a team that we're going to see play a lot different basketball that we saw this past season. And I think it, whether it's a Filipowski, if whoever pulls down the rebound defensively for Duke can get it to either Roach or Proctor and they can push the ball up the court as opposed to only being able to get it into one guy's hands. Either of those guys handling the ball in transition is going to be key for them. And I think it's going to open up a lot of opportunities with outside shooting for guys like Filipowski and others. If they can consistently hit 40% of their threes, especially in transition, it could be a dangerous, dangerous offense. They're going to need to figure out defense, but yeah. offense I think they're going to know.